I got a girl with a mind on love The kind of love that is dangerous It knocks me down but I get back up Hey everyone, welcome back to Kevin and the Wu-Tang Clan. Today, I have my brother back on as we talk about the craziness of wildcard weekend. Um, two all-time quarterbacks, Drew Brees, Tom Brady, going down um, to underdogs. Um, really exciting game uh, with the Bills and Texans. Uh, basically, Deshaun Watson, Houdini, makes a crazy escape uh, to set up the game-winning field goal. And um, Carson Wentz only playing less than a quarter before he goes out with a head injury um, and the Eagles going down to the Seahawks. So it sets up a really interesting divisional uh, matchups and divisional weekend next week. And me and Michael give our picks and a very brief slash quick preview of next week's game. So we wrap up and talk about all the things that ended up happening during wildcard weekend, and we give our picks for next week. So, guys, let's give my brother a call. Hello. Hey, Mike. What an exciting weekend of playoff football, wildcard weekend. Um, couldn't have asked for anything better, could we? Nope. That was a great weekend of football. And uh, honestly, every single game, maybe the Seahawks game wasn't as exciting, but every other single game was really, really exciting to watch. Yeah. And, like, even that Seahawks-Eagles game, while it wasn't in incredibly compelling or too exciting, it was still a one-possession game going into the fourth quarter. And there were still things going on. So we'll definitely break that down. But the other games were just incredible. And usually that first Saturday game in the afternoon is kind of the game where it's the it's labeled the bad game, I guess. Like where mm -hmm. the matchup isn't too exciting to watch or a lot of people aren't too excited to like get up for it or watch the game. But right off the bat with Bill's um Texans. It was just, I mean, I thought it was, re I thought it was probably the most interesting game of the weekend um, in terms of just like some of the coaching decisions and all those types of things that ended up going into it. So why don't we go into that game and we'll just kind of go chronologically through the weekend. Yeah, nice little overtime game here. I mean, we had two nice overtime games. Um, you know, with the Bills, Texans, and also with the Vikings and Saints. And, yeah, no, the uh, the weekend started off pretty hot here with the uh, Bills-Texans game. Yeah, Mike, and, I like, in that first half, the Bills looked incredibly good. Like, they were up 13-0, I believe, and they have eventually got it up to 16-0 midway through the third quarter. But Josh Allen looked like – incredibly poised I think Booker mm -hmm. McFarlane kept saying oh wow he looks so poised he looks so poised and he he was running the ball like they were they had they were keeping that Texans defense off balance but one of the things as I was watching back some of the highlights um try trying to just like get a better read for um the game was some of the red zone inefficiency that I kind of noticed throughout the game yeah it it was pretty interesting. It was a game with a ton of uh, a ton of field goals, and 
And honestly, I was very impressed with Josh Allen. We talked about it earlier, but that first half to go on the road for this to be his first playoff game, like Booker McFarlane may have, you know, kept saying it, but maybe it kind of hammered into our brains because he actually did look quite poised. And in that final drive, he looked pretty competent as well. Um, being able to lead his team to get that field goal to force overtime too. Yeah, I mean, he did have his share of mistakes, though, in the previous drive. They ended up oh, yeah, with, the, mm-hmm. with the fumble, with and then he took a terrible sack and all that type of stuff, and it ended up going, like, from, it, was, it was just, like, not a good sequence of plays for him at all when they were at, like, fourth and 27. I don't understand why Sean McDermott decided to go for it there. Um, instead of punting the ball with three tu- three timeouts and kind of playing the field position game, they kind of lucked out actually when the uh, when the Texans weren't able to convert on fourth down there, which was incredible. Fourth and one, they decided to go for it, and yep. they weren't able to convert either. So they kind of got lucked out, but I just didn't love like if you have three timeouts left, play the field position game, pin them back. Um, and see what you can do. Like, you're not going to be able to get fourth and 27 there. And I think, like, when a lot of people think back to this game, they'll kind of think, oh, Josh Allen was pretty poised, like, throughout the game. Like, he led them to the game-tying drive. But during key key decision-making points and key points in that drive where they were in clear field goal position um, in that – in that uh, penultimate drive right before they ended up tying it up, that he ended up taking them out of field goal range with some of the sacks that he took. Um, yep. And that was purely on him in terms of not being able to get rid of the ball. The intentional grounding call as well for him kind of uh, wrecked some of their chances of possibly tying it right there. Um, thankfully, they were lucked out um, by some of the incompetence of the Texans um, but they eventually got into overtime. But it was just like an incredible sequence of like, oh my God, the Bills are going to score. And then they didn't. And then the Texans end up going, uh, getting stopped down fourth down. Then the Bills end up having a game tying drive. And then in mm-hmm. overtime, wh- what can you say about Deshaun Watson, Mike? I mean, incredible, right? Yeah, he. The ability, like him and Russell Wilson are the top two, like just being able to get out of the pocket. And I mean, I mean, Mahomes is up there too. And just like making credible throws while on the run, right? Like the way that they're able to extend the play and still find like a guy on like 30 knee and get the first down is pretty incredible to me. Yeah, it, it's just really incredible that they were able to like kind of do that. And then like even just talking about some of the intricacies in overtime, where there are key plays um, for the Texans where, like, that blindside block to push them out of field goal range in overtime where if they ended up kicking that field goal, they would have won after they stopped the Texans on their drop first drive. That was just a huge call by the refs that, mm. I mean, maybe – I'm nitpicking a little bit, but that's a tough call to swallow. Blindside hit call. I mean, it was a tough, like, it was a tough call, but maybe some people were saying, reading some of the Twitter reaction, that was, like, the correct decision. But 
man, that's a tough call to swallow. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the referees like playing such a big part in the game, but I mean, if it's the right call, it. I mean, it's the right call, and like the Bills did still have their opportunities to win that game. So, I know the refereeing played a big part, like played a big part in the game, but uh, I still think the Bills had more than their fair share of opportunities to win this game. So, I, I mean, I wouldn't blame the refereeing there, but yes, I agree. It's a tough call, tough pill to swallow. Um, it's interesting to see like how, you know, some of the comments that like Sean McDermott is saying about, um, you know, Josh Allen after the game, like not too complimentary to be honest, after, after that game where you're saying that, you know, Josh Allen tried to do a little too much, um, you know, classic rookie mistakes, but yeah, I, I, I think that this game is a great, wild card game just because the expectations for it out of all the games that I was you know expecting for the weekend honestly this one was probably the lowest on my list I mean I think it was the lowest for everyone yeah 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 we still managed to get a good game out of it and uh yeah Deshaun Watson this guy uh he's pretty electric we'll kind of see how he you know I'm not I'm not as confident in his ability to play against the Chiefs, to be honest, but we shall see. It'll be a really, really exciting matchup. Yep, um, and we'll we'll definitely be breaking that down in the second part of the podcast, but let's kind of move on to the Patriots versus Titans game. Um, and, Mike, uh, ding dong, the witch is dead for both of us, right? I know, I know. Uh, I can't – it seems kind of surreal, to be honest. And I got to give – Big props to you, Mike. Um, we had it recorded last week, Mike. You predicted the Titans. You went out on a limb. Um, and it seems like everyone and their mother had the Titans picked um, after this game and after they won- beat the Patriots that everyone predict that, predicted that the Titans were going to win. Um, but, yeah, Mike, uh, congrats to you for getting that call right. I know. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I was actually traveling in Aruba and, you know, I woke up one of the days and I just like felt, I, I just had this feeling that uh, Texans, Titans, a tease would be a nice little bet there. And, you know, I tried, you know, placing a bet on FanDuel um, for these two games, but unfortunately Aruba does not have, uh, you know, does not allow you to gamble. So I was not able to make a little bit of money on those bets. But, yeah, it was a, it was a pretty interesting game, um, kind of what we expected. You know, it was a Derrick Henry game where, he, you know, he got 34 carries, averaged five and a half yards per carry, um, just looked like an absolute beast. And New England just could not find the offense. Um, yeah, they just couldn't find the offense to kind of get more than, what well, you know, 13 points that's which is incredibly low for new england but you know it was a game that we kind of expected and i'm kind of surprised new england wasn't able to game plan and do something differently like we knew that derrick henry would you know come out and play and be a big part of the game and we knew the uh the patriots would struggle to score and that's actually just what happened yeah we i mean i have a couple bigger themes thinking about this game in general and kind of what we could we could kind of transition and talk about Brady's legacy and what that means and whether or not he's coming back and all the speculation there. But 
our thoughts going into this game, we definitely had our suspicions, um, you more so than I did, in terms of whether or not the Patriots were going to be able to put points on the board just because of looking at their past schedule this season and then them being in these close games against teams that in past seasons against the Patriots wouldn't have warranted it at all in terms of like them being able to put points on the board, no problem. Um, Mm -hmm. And they just haven't been able to score enough points this year. They're averaging probably around like 20 to 25 points, like against like a good team. And that's just really difficult for a Patriots defense. And the defense played fairly decent they like they held Ryan Tannehill to 70 yards passing they just yep. could not stop the run at all and mm-hmm. that shocked me because usually Belichick and Belichick going into this game knew that they're going to give Derrick Henry the ball at least 25 times and he had eight to nine men in the box trying to stop the run still going four five six yards a pop like fairly easily. Um, And I thought the offensive line really won um, the Titans the game um, against the Patriots there. And honestly, like you kind of pointed to the Patriots offensive struggles. Um, Oh, a lot of it was evidenced by some of the um, inability for Patriots wide receivers to get loose and to get free from their man they weren't able to create separation on the outside and that created tighter and tighter windows for an aging Tom Brady that made it difficult for him and even in the first couple of drives during that game like like what I was shocked by was the Patriots were actually moving the ball fairly well against Mm -hmm. that defense they just were not efficient in the red zone. They went, they were in the red zone three times or four times um, throughout the um, the evening, and they weren't able to put more than one touchdown on the board. And that, I think, eventually, that basically costed the game. Um, yeah. And whereas the Titans, they were able to convert on their red zone opportunities. Yeah, yeah, you you, you kind of saw like. Tom Brady just doesn't have his red zone target like his Gronk. Yeah, right? did not Where, have his Gronk. Nope. So, I mean, when you're basically the Titans and expecting like a, you know, a dump-off pass to James White or just you know, Sonny Michelle um, trying to run up the middle, it's easy for your linebackers to kind of just, you know, tail those two types of plays. And Tom Brady just doesn't have trust in, you know, Ben Watson or her, um, a banged up Julian Edelman, Nikhil Harry to kind of do that one-on-one, um, you know, corner out, right? So it it it's it's it just seemed like Tom Brady. Uh, you know, we talked about the lack of skill position, but I agree with you. The red zone, they just don't have that playmaker who the whole team kind of trusts at this point. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm. You know, going on to some of the implications of this game, I mean, we'll talk about the Titans, say, in the next round, but for the Patriots, do you think that the dynasty is over? I think it's difficult to say. I mean, this is the first time they've even played in the wild card round since, like, 
I I don't even know how long. It, it's been a while since like '09, hasn't it? It's been like a while since they played in the wild card round, um, and like for them to be out this early in the playoffs is kind of we're kind of in uncharted territory right now um and i think a lot of people are kind are marking the end of the patriots dynasty because of that and because of the uncertainty of brady coming back whether or not he comes back and it seems like it's all up to whether or not bill belichick wants brady back my only thing about this is and i've talked to a lot of friends of mine and trying to gather their opinions on whether or not Brady's coming back. And there's already rumors floating around that he might be going out to LA with the chargers um, to play with them. Um, All those rumors floating around. It's just to me, I don't know what Bill Belichick's best, like, is he really going to roll with Jared Stidham and be fine with that? And okay with that? I, I don't really foresee that happening. I'd rather bring back Brady, who's been like a model citizen for the Patriots, has taken multiple pay cuts, um, slash like taken less money uh, with the Patriots so he can be surrounded by better talent um, to help support him. And they just weren't able to do that um, with the – with the guys and skill positions around him this year. Um, The running backs, they were, I mean, Michelle was kind of like the question mark all year. James White kind of showed his colors uh, throughout that game um, in the playoffs, but they just did not have consistent receiving options besides Edelman. Um, And those windows got a lot tighter for Edelman, even when there wasn't as much, um, attention being drawn away from him uh, in terms of like they're not being like that elite elite target when Gronk was at a hundred percent last year during the playoffs. So I I just don't I to me I don't see why the Patriots would move on from Brady because I don't know if they have a better option. Yeah, I, I agree with that. To be honest, I think that. Um... You know, Belichick had a quarterback that he kind of believed in, in in Jimmy G, but I'm not sure that he has the same level of faith with uh, these two other um, backup quarterbacks. So, really? Yeah, like, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, Cody Kessler. So, yeah, I don't know if that's the guy for them. Yeah, so I, I think that they actually do bring back Tom Brady um, because he does represent the best chance for this New England Patriots team to win. They were still 12 and 4. And I think that they probably look at this receiving corp and and think, how do we retool this? How do we get a few guys to sort of make a run for for next year? And, you know, I I think that, to be honest, I know they lost to the Titans, but I could have seen a world where they easily beat the Titans, easily, like, you know, have a make a run game. Yeah, make a run. So um, it's, it's, it's an, it, it's so hard to win in the NFL. The fact that Brady, like we take it for granted, they've made it look so easy, but it's just such a hard game to always come out on top. So um, I think that they will get a, another few shots, and I think Brady will come back for at least another year. Yeah, I and there's just no way he's retiring after that loss. Yeah. Um, and like no I I can't foresee him retiring and going out on that type of low note 
of uh, kind of limping out of the playoffs like that. Um, Agreed. But, yeah, it would be crazy if he was playing for another team next year, um, especially if his last pass in Foxborough was a pick six. Um, Mike, and then there were a couple other notes that I wanted to kind of quickly say um, regarding the game, uh, moving on from the Brady legacy portion of the pod. It was the genius time-wasting move that uh, Mm -hmm. Mike Rabel ended up having with about six minutes to go um, in the game, and they ended up, like, lining up to punt and taking multiple penalties um, so that the clock would wind, and they basically wasted a minute off of the game time because of this inefficiency in the rule, which I bet you the NFL is definitely going to be looking into uh, next year. But the fi- like basically what ends up happening is um, before five minutes is reached in the fourth quarter, the clock is wound during penalties and things like that, um, yep. meaning that the clock starts at the time that the referee signals the the time of play is to start. Whereas under five minutes, the clock stops for every penalty um, that is made or that has been occurred. So Vrabel uses this to his advantage and basically takes multiple penalties on fourth down to give his punter more space to punt the ball. And they basically wasted a minute. And the irony of this is, this all comes around to the Jets eventually, Mike. Uh, Bill yep. Belichick did this to the Jets earlier this season. Um, so yep. that was uh, a little bit of sweet, I guess, um, karma for, for Belichick, kind of experiencing that um, during the game. And it was yeah. kind of re- it was really interesting hearing Roma's explanation of of all that going on because I think a lot of people would have been confused in terms of what was happening. And yep. one tiny note: um, Anthony Ferkser, Michael, NJ native, um, and Harvard grad Mike, Harvard grad um, played really well for the Titans. Ended up catching his first postseason touchdown. And he ended up making that um, that play on third down to seal the game, basically, for the Titans towards the end of that game. So a uh, little shout-out to a Harvard guy. Yeah. And uh, I, I like how you, know, how you mentioned that uh, Bill Belichick got a taste of his own medicine because he did remark in the, in the Jets game that it's something the NFL would probably close. And, uh, you know, karma came back to bite him in the ass a little bit because the Titans used that move pretty brilliantly against Belichick and um, managed to waste some time. We saw Tom Brady, rather than having his, you know, a two-minute drill, they basically had like 12 seconds to engineer a comeback, and that's that's impossible. So On um, the one-yard line. Yeah, on the one-yard line. Yeah. So, so it, it just was not going to happen. And, um, yeah, pretty, pretty interesting um, coaching, and I think pretty great coaching by by Brable um and the Titans that entire game. Totally. And moving on, Mike, to from one um amazing quarterback um to another amazing quarterback that ended up having a bad weekend and lost 
is uh, Drew Brees and the Saints against the Vikings. Um, and I thought this was one of the – this was probably the second best game of the weekend for me, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, overtime game um, might actually be the best game of the week. Um, just like an amazing, amazing game um, to start off the Sunday slate of games, Mike. Um, what was your general feel slash reaction to this game? Because I have a whole bunch of notes written down here. Yeah, to be honest, it was it was pretty surprising for me. But this was the I, only game that we got wrong. Yeah, so this is the the game we got wrong, and um, I actually had the Saints going all the way to, to the Super Bowl and maybe doing even more there. Um, <laughs> definitely, even though it was uh, the only one we got wrong, we re- like I really got it wrong to be honest. But to be very fair, once I saw the line creeping on like seven points, I, think I did it finished th- at eight and it finished at eight at eight points. So that's insane to me. Like I, I started getting extremely worried when I saw that line. Um, Cause it just feeds fuel to the fire for the Vikings. And like, no one believes in us. Like we're not stressed. Like we're not going to worry too much. Um, and, and yeah, like, I know the Saints looked have looked good recently, but in Aruba, like I, 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 you know, I had that feeling to bet on those two surefire like wins, but I increasingly felt very, very uncomfortable with the Saints pick um, because the Vikings with Dalvin Cook, Kirk Cousins. I know he hasn't, you know, played amazingly in the playoffs. I didn't want a playoff pitch, game before this, but. To be honest, this Vikings team with Mike Zimmer, they really veteran team. They have playmakers on off, like, you know, the feeling catch, digs. Um, Cook just honestly changed the complexion of that offense. Um, he was able to get whatever, not whatever he wanted, but he really opened up, the like, the entire offense where, like, Kirk Cousins was able to, you know, have a little bit more time. It was, definitely looked a, a lot more comfortable um with Dalvin Cook there so so yeah I I I just did not feel very comfortable with the uh, Saints pick as a week went on and it did bite me in the ass a little bit here with uh you know the Vikings able to pull off the win and honestly they looked great in it yeah and I I mean for myself like once it got to eight points, I was like, wow, that's a lot of points. Even if it's like a, like a road dog, like still a lot of points to be kind of, uh, be favored by. So I was pretty surprised by the line. Um, but I think it was kind of because a lot of people were on the Saints, uh, bandwagon going to the Super Bowl and possibly even winning the Super Bowl. Um, I would be curious to see what the Saints odds were for, uh, you know, Super Bowl champs um, before this game. So it it was very – I was very surprised, honestly, on, at, at the outcome of the game. But I also kind of saw, um, as the game unfolded, the realities of, oh, okay, I could see how the Vikings could come out and, and take this one. The I think the one thing that really was, like – fairly shocking to me was some of the big turnovers that Drew Brees had. Um, he had one interception before halftime that ended up leading um, to a Dalvin Cook um, touchdown run from like five yards out. But 
he threw that interception with about two minutes left and the Vikings were down, I believe 10 to six. And then they were able to go up 13, 10 before halftime because of that turnover, super uncharacteristic of Drew Brees. And on that play, they were going super quick. Um, like I think they were trying to catch the Vikings off guard and they weren't able to do that. And Brees kind of just like lofted it up there for, for grabs. And uh, that, that was picked off. And then that huge fumble, Mike, um, incredible, like they were driving pace of Hill. Oh my God. He had a game. Like he was like shedding tacklers, truck sticking guy, making catches like through the, through the, that huge bomb, um, down the middle of the field, um, 50 yard bomb caught a touchdown pass was making running plays like unbelievable player like unbelievable utility player me and yep. so I was watching the game with Sam Chang and I was one me and Sam were wondering what position he would be in fantasy next year um would he be like a tight end or like what what is he going to be it would be really interesting to see but it was kind of interesting because whenever Taysom Hill was in the game there was a little bit more unpredictability from the Vikings in terms of not knowing what to expect um and I think that was fairly fascinating and kind of it being a microcosm of where the NFL is trending towards in terms of it favoring a lot of these running quarterbacks, RPO type of stuff. You know, Lamar Jackson's kind of taken this wave, Patrick Mahomes, um, you kind of saw it with Josh Allen too, um, Mm -hmm. taking advantage of that as well. Um, But yeah, I just thought some of Drew Brees' mistakes really caught up with them and really costed them that game. Um, and, um, like, there's just some, like, uncharacteristic things. Like, Will Lutz ended up missing a field goal at right before halftime um, when um, off the kickoff, Deontay Harris brings it back to, like, the 40-yard line, and then Will Lutz misses, like, 47-yarder. Um, and yep. that by no means is automatic but he's been so good for the uh for the saints this season that i think it was a bit of a surprise there and that those three points were huge in the overall outcome of the game um i mean i was about to text you at the end of the game when he had to hit that 40 i think it was like a 49 yard right i think it was yeah something like that and like i i was gonna text you i thought he was gonna miss it to be honest I thought I thought the Vikings were gonna win off a missed field goal, um, but for once, yeah, no. right? <laughs> yeah, and uh, honestly, I was incredibly impressed with Kirk Cousins throughout that game. Like they they won the game. I think that they were honestly the better team over the Saints too. Yeah, they just looked. It was. In, I was just really impressed with how they kind of stuck to their game plan, even though they. Like, in the first half, it looked like it was going to get away from them a little bit. They were down 10-3, and then I was like, okay, here it goes. Like, this is how it's going to go. The, uh, and then once the Saints were driving and then breezed through that interception, then, it like, the tide switched. Um, yep. We have to get to the last play in overtime. Like, you, uh, like the Cousins throw to Thielen, um, that was an incredible throw. Um, to yep. to set up 
um, the the fade into the corner to Kyle Rudolph. Um, Mike, did the Saints get screwed again this year? Was that offensive pass interference or more 50-50? Like, how did you I, see that play? I think there was some, like, pass interference. But I think that at the end of the game, like, the refs kind of let them play for it a little bit. And they, they're not going to want to, like, draw the, you know, pull out the flag there and influence the game so much. <laughs> it's what, kind of why they got, you know, the Saints got screwed last year when the uh, late-in pass interference was not called. But I I didn't have too much of a problem with that no call, to be very honest. Mm. There was definitely some contact from both of them, and... um. Yeah, I, I, I didn't have as much of a, a problem with that no call. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't, like, super blatant. There was definitely an advantage, like, gained from when Rudolph basically extended his arm, one arm. But you kind of saw I, – I don't know. I don't remember who the cornerback was on that play, but he was pulling um, Rudolph's arm as well um, when Rudolph went to go extend that one arm. But yep. I, I just think it would have been a really, really tough call for the for the refs to make. Um, maybe the argument is from the fans, like, why not take a look at it um, and see whether or not. And may, I guess the refs just didn't feel like there was enough there to take a look. But, yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. And I, I wonder, like, what this says about, like, the Sean Payton era and about the Saints because they've lost three points pretty heartbreaking games in a row um, in the playoffs to end their Like they lost, I think they lost three walk-off games in a row. They lost to this Vikings team um, in that miracle of, uh, of like a Hail Mary from Case Keenum to, yeah. to Diggs. That was, that was just like incredible. They lost in that game. They lost the Rams game last year. Um, and then they lose this game the way it is just like three incredibly heartbreaking losses um, for this incredibly talented team. And I wonder what this says about like, do you think there's a chance breeze retires or he's definitely coming back? Um, no, no, breeze definitely coming back. I mean, they were 13 and three. Um, yeah. So he was a one or two seed. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, breeze didn't play his best game, but I'm not going to lie. Neither did, the defense or Kamara, to be very honest. Like I, I don't know what's going up going on with Kamara, but he went from being like, Wow, I can't believe this guy I, I think he's like a top two running back in the league and, and now I just don't know what I'm seeing from him. His like shiftiness is gone, like it, you just can't rely on him to get those reliable like five yard, nine yard shifty gains where like no one could tackle him. Um so he's kind of been neutralized overall this whole season. Yeah, and the, well. I think the I think the craziness is like they're missing Mark Ingram, um, who's moved on to to the Ravens and revitalized that um, running yeah. game. But they've really missed Mark Ingram and um, kind of like the ground and pound, like in terms of Ingram grinding out yards on the ground and then kind of leaving Kamara fresh to take advantage of plays in space. And I think, I think 
you kind of saw a bit of that because Kamar is featuring a lot more on first and second down in in the Saints' uh, running packages. And I think it's become a little bit more predictable in terms of where he's going to get the ball um, in comparison to previous seasons. Yeah. And I, I mean, <clears throat> yeah, I, I mean, overall, like the, the game was, the game was a close one. I, I think the Saints also had their chances to win, but I, I was really impressed with the Vikings and who knows, I, I think they might be able to make a little bit of a run here. Yeah, we'll see. All right, we'll we'll get to that later. We'll talk about the last game of the weekend, Mike. Eagles versus Seahawks. Um, big storyline coming out of this game. Um, Carson Wentz playing less than a quarter in his mm-hmm. playoff debut. Yep. And he's ruled out because of a supposed head injury slash concussion. Uh, Jadeveon Clowney ends up going in for the tackle and tackle and basically falling on his head on the back yeah. of his head. Um, pretty unfortunate play by um, or for Carson Wentz to be so amped up and excited to play your first playoff game for it to only end like that. Um, just extremely tough. I can't even imagine like what he's going through. And then 40-year-old Josh McCown, former Jet Mike, um, mm-hmm. Basically, former every team like Brown, like you could throw any team out there. He's played for half, the, basically half the league, um, um, and he comes in and he kept it like reasonably manageable, like as reasonable as it as it can be for a backup quarterback in that type of situation. Um, incredibly tough situation to be placed in. Um, and it's not like Seattle pulled away, but DK Metcalf looked really good, um, going for 160 yards, I believe the most, um, in a playoff debut by a wide receiver. Yeah. I mean, DK Metcalf, uh, looked phenomenal that game. Honestly, overall this game, not as much to talk about. Um, Not too exciting. Honestly, not that exciting. Yeah, like what we kind of expected to happen happened where, you know, the Seahawks are just a more talented team versus this depleted Eagles. And especially when Josh McCown goes I sorry, um Carson Wentz goes out, this this team just doesn't have enough talent to 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 win this game. So not a big surprise when that happened. Um but yeah, I think we both I, I mean I kinda got reminiscent of like, oh man, we're Nick <laughs> we're fools. Yeah, with yeah. Nick Foles. Um, that would have been legendary if they still had Nick Foles there and he led them to another improbable win. It just would have been absolutely surreal. I but, know. It would have been crazy at that But, point. yeah, the Seahawks, Russell Wilson, Metcalf, um, it, it, it was just a game that we kind of expected versus these other games where just um, crazy stuff happened throughout the entire game. This game – kind of followed the game script of what we had expected. Yeah, and I, I think, like, one of the things, like, Marshawn Lynch ends up running in, running in a touchdown um, during the game. Like, Seattle, when kind of handicapping their chances in the next couple rounds, it, it kind of just showed, like, what the Seattle team's about. They're not, like, a super explosive team, and other than if you're going to go to Metcalf over the top. 
but that's mm-hmm. like only a couple times a game. And um, I wonder if Russ kind kind of runs it a little bit more and uses his legs a little bit more. And he, he kind of showed that in this game a little bit. And I think like the biggest thing that we kind of need to talk about is the legacy of Carson Wentz and like what that contract means. And he just can't stay healthy. Um, like it, it's really an unfortunate injury that he had. You can't really, it's hard to prevent a guy like falling on your head. But mm-hmm. at this point, it's pretty tough looking at his injury history and for how good he is when he's on the field. Like, if you can't stay on the field in key moments, it's going to be very tough um, for him to establish um, himself in the upper echelon of quarterbacks in the league. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. It it just seems kind of unlucky, especially mm-hmm. today's game. Like, you're right, the, the hit wasn't I, – I won't say it's, like, dirty, but it was, like – Okay, it was a little dirty, to be honest. Interesting. In okay, well, why would you say that? Why Why would you say that's a dirty hit? I I don't think it's that. It's not like an extremely dirty hit where it's like you know Vontaze perfect or something. Right, right. But but I think Clowney was definitely trying to rough him up a little bit um, because I mean it seemed like Wentz was already down, and it, it was like a pretty late hit and. You know, Clowney lowered his head. Um, you know, I, I think he's just not trying to injure him, but he was trying to, like, make him think about <laughs> trying to run again. Right, be, like, a physical presence. So, like, yeah. make makes Wentz think twice whether or not to tuck it and run outside the pocket. Like, yeah, I can absolutely. understand that, but, yeah, it was. I, I, I just think it was, like, an unfortunate series of events that ended up happening kind of coming together for him to get hurt. Um, But I wonder if there's bigger questions as to whether or not now he's labeled as one of those injury-prone type of players and they just have to have a good quarterback, backup quarterback behind him no matter what, and maybe draft draft someone in in the upcoming draft to kind of groom them to be a bat like uh, a decent enough backup to kind of come in, be expected to play games more so than other teams. Yeah, more so than in other teams. Yep, yep, agreed. So yeah, who knows? Maybe a, a little Nick Foles reunion. Yeah, that that's also true. That might also be possible, especially with the Jag situation with Gardner Minshew. So Mike. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of wraps up the wild card weekend and what a weekend it was. Um, incredible weekend. Um, I hope next weekend in the divisional round, it's just as good um, because I really enjoyed watching all that football uh, this weekend. But before we get into our preview slash prediction of the divisional round of the playoffs, Mike, why don't we talk about, um, a couple of the news that ended up breaking this week um, and um, in between games um, today, actually. Um, so first of all, Ron Rivera ends up getting hired by the Redskins 
so the Redskins and then the Redskins ended up getting rid of Bruce Allen. A lot of my friends in the DMV are extremely happy by this decision. Uh, feel like they're going in a positive direction, uh, kind of getting a grown up in the um, mm-hmm. in the in the coaching room, and I'm curious to see who they bring in um, in the front office to lead that front office and see what types of moves they make um, in the DMV. So always curious about that. Um, Rivera, I think, is a pretty interesting and good hire, and they made a big commitment to him for five years. So that'll be interesting. Also, Cowboys news, big news. Jason Garrett finally gets let go from his job. Um, It was kind of weird, right, Mike? Because there was reports that they already interviewed Mike McCarthy and Marvin Lewis this past week, and then Jason Garrett still was, like, in limbo. Um, Just a really weird situation how that got dragged out all the way up until today when traditionally coaches who are let go usually – or let go last Monday. So it was just like a really surprising like mechanism that Jerry Jones and the Cowboys did. Yeah, I mean it it had to happen. And I'm I'm surprised it happened so late. You've heard all the reports that, you know, Jason Garrett was trying to, you know, still push for his spot, but I think that they just needed to get it done. They needed to get this done finally bury the hatchet and uh, move on from the Jason Garrett era. And I'm honestly very curious to see where they start to look. We've heard a lot of college names. We've also heard, you know, some like McCarthy. Um, But yeah, who wouldn't want a job for the most valuable franchise, sports franchise in the world? Yeah. Um, Who would you hire if you're Cowboys? Um, Jerry Jones, Mike, and you had a decision to make in terms of which coach to bring in. My thing is, if I'm Jerry Jones, I kind of want to win now, and I think I have the talent to do so. I would be pretty curious to to look at um, Mike McCarthy, to be very honest. Uh, from all the reports I'm reading with Mike McCarthy, he's dabbling a lot more in analytics, which was a heavy knock on him earlier, where we kind of questioned some of the play calling and the ingenuity but it seems like he's really been trying to learn a lot as a coach, which I respect. I would not look at Marvin Lewis. His 0-7 record in the playoffs is just a non-starter for me. Um, so, yeah, I, I would look at some more experienced coaches, to be honest, just because I want to kind of win now. And I mean, know, Jerry's, even, Jerry's up there in age, so got to get, get his championships in. Yeah. Yep, and for all the shot, like all the young coaches that bring hype, I think you could do that when you don't have as high expectations, right, or as much honestly, like as high expectations. Because Sean McVay, like um, he's kind of the poster child for it, but he still hasn't won a Super Bowl. We've kind of still seen the old guard, um, you know, the Andy Reid coaching tree, for example, with uh, Doug Peterson um, do quite well. Obviously, Bill Belichick. So I, I would kind of want a more experienced face because I want to try and win a Super Bowl if I'm the Cowboys. Yeah, that's you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the logic makes sense. I think um, it would be really exciting if they hired someone like Lincoln Riley or like one of these hot college coach names. Um, yep. 
be a little bit more innovative, but I could or Matt Rule from Baylor. But yep. I think um it seems like the logical move would be more experienced guy who has success in the playoffs, um, to kind of cater and uh navigate this ship with a lot of the talented players that they do have, um, especially on offense. So it'll be interesting to see what ends up going down there eventually in Jerry World. So, Mike, let's preview the matchups in the divisional round, uh, give our predictions. Um, So the first game of the weekend next Saturday, Mike, Vikings versus Niners. Um, Really exciting game to me. Um, I don't know how you'd rank all these games, but that Seahawks-Packers game is all – is going to be exciting. Um, Vikings-Niners, I think, is going to be really exciting as well. The two AFC games, I really wanted to see. Not, I didn't want to see the Patriots win, but it would have been interesting to see the, the Patriots play the Chiefs. Um, and that matchup would have been, I think, a little bit more interesting compared to, like, Titans-Ravens and Texans-Chiefs. So, first game of the weekend, Mike, Vikings-Niners. Um, who you got here, and uh, give me some reasons why you got that team. For me, the Vikings kind of feel feel interesting. So looking at the six-and-a-half-point line, I would probably take the Vikings because I do think it's going to be a closer game. But to win the game, I'm going to take the 49ers. And it's it's another one of those, like, Saints – Vikings feelings I'm having where I just don't feel great about it because I think the Vikings have some real dark horse potential to sort of rip through the playoffs here Um, because, yeah, their defense is great, well-coached. Kirk Cousins, if he's playing like that, will give them a chance to win, and Dalvin Cook really changes the offense here. So for me, I I, I like the Vikings a lot more than I probably should, but – I'm I'm still going to go with the 49ers to win the game, even though I think it's going to be a lot closer than the six-and-a-half-point line uh, implies. Yeah, I'm actually kind of there with you, Mike, um, in that reasoning in terms of the Vikings giving the 49ers some trouble. Um, I think, in this yeah, game. like Jimmy G's first playoff game, right? Yes, I do believe so. Um, it's his first one. So they're, it's not like they're – extremely established as um in terms of like being the one seed as the front runners like they've established themselves they were just four and 12 yeah yeah exactly so they're basically work you know working on the strength of their defense that's carried them to this stage um while jimmy g's had his moments he it's not like he's really carried the team at all they're really a little bit more well balanced of a team um yeah the vi- it's it's pretty attractive it's just really hard to go on the road twice um to win mm-hmm. games yeah um, but i do think it's going to be a fairly close game but i do have the 49ers um going yep. through here so yeah, uh, I'll, I'll go with the 49ers but the experience really is kind of key like i don't know who on the 49ers offense or defense really has that playoff experience and might be able to really be that leadership and locker room presence um, and even on the coaching staff, like Shanahan's I, I, young coach. Yeah. He's a young coach who hasn't really been to the playoffs as much as Zimmer has for sure. So I'm, 
I'm a little bit worried with that inexperience here. And there's a lot of 49ers um, hype still going on. And, you know, the Vikings, I think, took out probably, honestly, what I thought was the best team in the NFC. So I uh, I kind of like the Vikings here for a little upset potential, but I'll still go with the 49ers just based off the talent. I'm sure all of your San Francisco's uh, San Francisco tech buddies out there um, will be happy with that choice. Uh, maybe not as happy with the reasoning behind it, but they'll be happy with the choice nonetheless, Mike. Um, so we got Titans-Ravens next in the Saturday night game. Um, are we – is it a similar story to the Vikings in terms of are we underestimating this Titans team, or is it just – Ravens are rolling um, all the way. They're, I believe, favored. Let me. I I'm looking at the line right now. They're favored by ten points right now. The Ravens. That just seems way too high. But this game could. Um, I, I I mean, like the Titans, like their offense line's good. Their defense is pretty solid. Derrick Henry might be. He might be He's the getting, best running. He might be the best running back in the playoffs. Yep, he's getting 30 carries uh, next week. Yeah, he's definitely getting 30 carries. I might say, I, I think Derrick Henry is, like, the running back I'd be most scared to play in the entire playoffs. So that line is too high for me. I would think that it should be around, like, eight, maybe seven. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with the Ravens to win the game. I, I just think that Lamar Jackson will keep it rolling. The offense will score too many points. The Titans, I mean, Ryan Canhill in a nice story, but I don't think that they're going to have enough offensive firepower. Like, you know, if they're down 14-3, I just don't know if running the ball with Derrick Henry will will be the sustainable answer here. Yeah, I I think that's the worry in terms of if they're not, if it's not a close game early and, you know, Lamar's kind of just, and the offense is clicking and they're on a roll, it's going to be very hard for them to catch up in this game. So I I could see how Rabel and the coaching staff might employ similar strategy to that to the Patriots game. A lot of ball control, a lot of running the ball, um, really key on how they're going to perform on third down and whether or not they're going to be able to keep it third and manageable, all that type of stuff so that they can keep the ball for a long time possession so that I think that's going to be a couple of the keys to this game but I have the Ravens going here um and I I think pretty comfortably winning against this Titans team but um who knows at this point with the playoffs in full swing but yeah I have the Ravens here um I think Lamar is going to just dice his team up Yep. I mean, I, I, I totally agree. I I think the Ravens will win this game. It, I don't think it'll be as close, but, um, yeah, I like the Ravens here. All right, Mike. So we're moving on to Sunday um, after Sunday first game um, being played. Texans versus the Chiefs, Mike. Uh, Chiefs at home. The current spread right now that I'm seeing are Chiefs favored by nine and a half. Um, that seems a little high to me, but give me your um, give me your thoughts on this game. 
Yeah, I, what I don't like is Andy Reid, but I like everything else about this Chiefs team. I'm going to take the Chiefs here to win this game um, against Texans. Poor Texans always, you know, winning a divisional round and, and losing the next game or losing the divisional round. They just can't seem to break through. But I like the Chiefs here um, a lot. Mm, okay. Um, yeah, I I like the Chiefs here maybe a little less than you. Um, I think they'll win the game. Um, but if it stays at nine and a half, I think I would take the Texans um, point. But I I just think the Chiefs, Mahomes is going to be ultra talented, and I'm my mouth is salivating. Um, I think it's going to be a great game. Yeah, this is the game I'm most excited for, to be honest. Yeah, this game, and then I was I was before I um you you kind of jumped in there. I was going to say how um my mouth is salivating for a potential Lamar versus Mahomes matchup in the AFC Championship game which would be incredible just to kind of see them, those guys go back and forth in the shootout. But um, even the, even um, Watson, like Deshaun Watson has shown like him to be an explosive athlete and um, make incredible plays, especially him spinning out of that surefire sack um, in the game. Uh, yep. yesterday, which was incredible to witness for him to get there and then kind of pass out and, and set up the game-winning um, field goal for the Texans. But I do think it ends for them there. Um, and I think the Chiefs, um, while I'm a little worried about them de- defensively, um, I think th- I think Mahomes is going to be able to outscore the Texans. I wonder how J.J. Watt's going to ho- hold up um, coming back from that pectoral injury um, mm-hmm. and provide enough pressure on Mahomes. Um, and even if they flush Mahomes out of the pocket, he's such a good improviser out of the pocket that um, it'll be really hard to keep for them to keep track of what Mahomes does. Yeah, I, I think the Texans, I, the Texans are a team that could keep up with the Chiefs at the very least, which I'm not sure I could say about like someone like the Seahawks, the Titans, Vikings. Um, so I, I think it'll be a really fun game just because we'll see a lot of offense on the field, but I think the Chiefs just have more talent, to be honest, and I still take Mahomes over Watson any day. Sounds good, Mike. All right, so Mike, last game of the weekend, we got Seahawks versus the Packers, Mike, um, Seahawks on the road against the Packers. Um, the Seahawks are four-point underdogs um, to the Packers. Who do you have in this game, Mike? Mm. Is this so, upset special here? I think this might be upset special here. Okay. So we're on the Seahawks bandwagon, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't I, – I probably have – I, I probably think the pack. I, I think the Packers are probably going to win over the Seahawks, but I mean I can't have the one and two seeds all winning here. So I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with the Seahawks just because Russell Wilson. I I, I love Rodgers too. I mean these are two of the most exciting quarterbacks like with you know Russell Wilson and Rodgers playing, but 
I'm going to still go with Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll to win this game, mostly just because I, I, I honestly, it's more like a clutch factor with Russell Wilson and the way he's played this whole, whole season. Um, I think the Packers are a better team here slightly just because a lot of the injuries the Seahawks have, but um, yeah, who knows, Marshawn Lynch, maybe he goes off for a few runs, beast mode, but uh, if they had Chris Carson, Rashad Penny still, I would have taken the Seahawks in a heartbeat. The lack of running game, though, is a big worry for me, but Russell Wilson has been able to pull it off, and um, I think it's going to come down to a typical one score, and Russell Wilson will hopefully be able to to win it for them. Yeah, for me, I think I have the Packers in this game. Um, and I, the reason why the Packers in this game was, you know, originally before in last week's podcast, I predicted that the Saints would struggle in the cold weather and I had the Packers kind of moving on. And I think I believe I chose the Packers to make the Super Bowl um, last week. And for me, there's no reason to go back on that pick. Um, I actually strangely don't like the matchup as much um, with the Seahawks against the Packers. Um, Seahawks are used to playing in crappy North Pacific Northwest weather, um, so that's not going to be as big of a factor. I do believe it's going to be very cold, um, and it's projected to be snowing, um, snow showers in Green Bay. Um, so we'll get that traditional Green Bay Packers weather type of feel in the playoffs. But I still I do have the Packers winning this game just because I think Rodgers is going to be able to um, to be able to command uh, the offense extremely well and just defensively. For the Seahawks, while they did play well against the Eagles, um, I don't think they have experienced some of the the balance that this um, Packers offense kind of can show, especially with the run uh, the run game um, and Aaron Jones, who's been incredibly good this year, and I think that's going to be the difference maker and the difference factor. The one concern I do have is how uh, the play calling is going to be called in this game and whether or not the inexperience of uh, the Packers coaching staff um, is going to haunt them against a very experienced playoff um, tested coach in uh, Pete Carroll. So that's going to be my one concern. Um, I think there's a clear disadvantage um, in that coaching slot. So um, that's one thing to watch out for. But I'm going Packers here. Yeah, and I mean, to be honest, I think my other my my other concern with the Packers is that in a lot of games where they should have just laid the smack down onto bad teams, bad teams were able to stay in, in play the entire, like for a lot of the game. So they just haven't had that kind of killer mentality um, which worries me, to be very honest, where you're not able to beat on these bad teams. So the Seahawks have been able to beat some incredible teams, have kept it close with a lot of like the very best. And I, 
I think that, you know, it'll be a really close game and probably just a one possession where either Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers has a ball in their hands and is able to march their team down the field to win. But I'll take the Seahawks uh, All right. for that one. So, Mike, it looks like we're we're differing on just this game. I got the Packers, you have the Seahawks, and then we got the Chiefs, Ravens, Niners, and the other games. So, Mike, um, I have nothing else to cover besides that. Um, um, and it was such an exciting game um, in the wild card, um, weekend during all the wild card games uh, that ended up happening. Anything that you want to add before I sign off? I think uh, just a happy New Year's to all the listeners. Um, happy 2020. And yeah, I mean, New I Year's resolutions. Everyone... We didn't do our New Year's resolutions last year. Yeah, we can go through. We can go through the New Year's resolutions quickly. All right, Mike. Why don't you go first? Uh, first of all, happy 2020 to all of our listeners. I want to thank each and every one of you for listening in, tuning in each and every week uh, to the podcast. Um, I am forever grateful, Mike. What is your New Year's resolution? Yeah. So. The uh, the Aruba trip last week gave me a lot of time to think, reflect on 2019, and plan out how I want 2020 and just you know the overall decade to go. And for me, I think that the first thing that I want to start looking into is you know different opportunities for work around like different startups, right? Just trying to explore some different spaces um, that are interesting to me, whether it be in healthcare, whether it be in education, but really just seeing like other industries out there um, where we could have some change. And I think the second thing would be more related to, you know, just keeping better contact with friends, family, and um, girlfriend Nancy, right? Just trying to call mom, dad uh, every week, but also just try and reach out to friends that I feel like I haven't been able to keep in uh, as much contact as I should. So if you uh, if you get a text from me, um, yeah, I'm just trying to reconnect, trying to make sure that we have, you know, have those friends um, as we get older and older, make sure that we, we stay connected, um, not just in like the whole like Facebook, comment, like Instagram kind of way. And the third and last thing, um, probably more just around like general health and fitness, right? I think that not doing fencing anymore. So how do I stay in shape? Um, how do I start to eat a little bit healthier as well? Um, so I'm hoping to increase my weight a little bit to maybe be like 165. I'm like 155 right now. And um, hopefully not have all that be fat. So <laughs> exactly. stay in shape there. Um, but besides that, yeah, a lot of reading as a last thing. Um, reading a great book called What It Takes by Stephen Schwartzman, who's the founder of Blackstone. So I love the book so far. I would definitely give it a read. It's it's probably one of the best books I've read in a long time. I've been recommending it to a few friends uh, randomly, but not finished yet. But it's a great read, and I think that I'm going to just try and keep reading like one book every two weeks. So maybe I'll uh, keep keep everyone posted on on what I'm reading here. Sounds good, Mike. Uh, sounds like some 
big New Year's uh, resolutions. Uh, I'm sure mom and dad will be happy about that shout out in the podcast as well. <laughs> so uh, for me, um, I don't have that many New Year's resolutions. The only resolution I do have is to actually come up with a logo for for this podcast because it's just been that microphone, uh, which looks very amateurish. So come up with a logo slash mm-hmm. website where I can write some content down because I do have some written work that I do want to post um, and get out there. So it'd be really cool to kind of develop a website and do something like that. So I'm definitely working on that right now uh for you guys so be on the lookout for that in the next i would say couple weeks to one month or so um so and can uh basically i'd be hopefully constantly um posting to that at least making one post um every couple of days or so uh so that is my new year's resolution so kind of leaning into this mic um and i will definitely um be taking any recommendations from our listeners on how we can improve slash what it is that uh, they want to hear us talk about outside of the realm of sports as well. So um, it's really fun to do these little segments at the end of the podcast that aren't just about sports. um, So it's really fun to do that. So if you guys want to hear more of that, let me know, and uh, yeah, you'll you might be able to hear some uh, some more of that. So, Mike, thanks again for coming onto the podcast as we talked about the wild card, crazy, crazy wild card weekend madness, um, and uh, previewing next week's divisional matchups. And I can only hope they mat- uh, basically reach slash um, basically match up to all the things that we watched this weekend. So hopefully they they live up to the hype next week, Mike. And uh, I'll be tuning in from Hawaii, Mike, um, Mm. watching the games from Hawaii. So early, early wake-up call for me as I watch the game. So, uh, yeah, I'll be out there watching, uh, tuning in at like 6 a.m. So, um, yeah, so definitely be watching out for the podcast for next week. So thanks again, guys, for listening. Happy New Year's, um, um, and hopefully everyone has a really good 2020. Thanks again, Mike. I got a girl with a mind on love, the kind of love that is dangerous. It knocks me down, but I get back up. And I'm addicted, I can't get enough